Good morning. My name is Ken, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church. Really glad that you're here this morning. I'm asking our life group leaders to come up. Um, right before Pastor Sean comes for the weekend's teachings, we always take some time to pray. And uh, since life groups are starting this week, we wanted to make sure that we pray for our life groups and our life group leaders. And so I uh, wanted to introduce you to some of the life group leaders, some of the places that we have life groups. Uh, it doesn't matter if you live in the city or live west of the city or south. We have a life group that's pretty close to you. And if, if you come to me and say, I live in New Hampshire, we got you covered. We don't have a life group in New Hampshire, but we have online life groups. So no matter where you live, you can be part of the community that we're building here at Grace Church. So I want to introduce some of the life group leaders to you and let you know where they're, uh, where they're meeting and what days. This is Shelton and Jamie Perkins, and they are on Monday nights. Okay, you already know who's in their life group. That's awesome. Uh, they're on Monday nights in, in Sharon. This is Team Jordan. Nate and Charmaine live in Hanson, and that's where their life group is, and they are on Wednesday nights. I'm going to keep moving down the row. This is Tim and Kristen Crawford, and they are in Canton on Monday nights as well. Now, are you in their life group, or was that a pity clap? <laughs> this is Matt and Sir Walton, and uh, they're our online group. We have two online groups, and they're one of them. And so if, if your schedule's crazy, you don't get home till like 9 o'clock at night every single night of the week, uh, then maybe check out uh, our online. You could do it on the train, on the way into the city, or back home, or whenever you have downtime. It's just one question a day that you can answer, interact, share your prayer requests. So uh, if that's your schedule, um, check out our online life groups. Uh, this is Michael and Marie Ball, and uh, they're also in Canton. A lot of Canton tonight, uh, this morning, uh, but they're on Monday nights, which I would never do Monday nights because of Monday night football, just, just saying. But, but if, sorry, sorry. No, no, Monday nights are great because they, they have football parties. No, Monday nights are good. Sorry, dang. Um, don't let that be a distraction in your heart, all right? So we, we want to encourage you. Um, Life groups are the best way for you to build community. Uh, I want to read you this. We've been asking people to send in uh, just what life group has meant to them. And, and, and so this came in uh, this week. It said, family, faith, and fun. These are just three of the words that we would use to describe our life group experience. It says, getting involved in a life group has truly been a blessing to both me personally and spiritually. Uh, this family came to Grace Church in October 2014, and they said they've never gone back. The connection that her and her husband have made and continue to make with new people uh, continue to be a blessing, and they describe it as miracles because each new person brings a newer, deeper understanding of God's power in their lives. And this is what I know about life groups. Uh, I've, been, I've been the life group pastor here for six, seven years now. I love to see the transformation of people who just get into life groups. You see them come to life groups, and, and they'll come to church, and they sort of stand around and looking at people, and they don't know anybody. And in an auditorium this size, they come in, they sit down, and they worship, and listen to God's word, and then they leave. But about three, four, five, six weeks into life group, that same person, because I'm a people watcher, they come in, they find somebody in their life group, and they walk over, and they give them a hug. Even if it's a guy. Guys do guy hugs. You know what a guy hug is? Get the shoulder in there, and you do that little. That's, that's a guy hug, and that's completely appropriate, all right? And so you see that happening, you're like, 
that's what life groups are about. And so if that's what's missing in your life, let me encourage you, get into a life group. That's why they're on different nights of the week, because maybe uh, Wednesday night's not good for you, but Thursday night is. We have a life group, and they're in different towns, so it's probably going to be one that's close to you. You say, Ken, I don't have family in town. Uh, I don't have anybody to watch my kids. I just, I have, that's my barrier. It's, it's, it's child care. We got you covered. We have vouchers that we will help you. If you need help paying for a babysitter, let us help you. We don't want that to be a distraction. We don't want that to be a barrier. So we ask you to fill out a form, and we'll pay up to half of your babysitting costs. Let us know whatever we can do. We even have them that meet during the day. So you're like, I work nice. I can't get to them. We have some that meet during the day. So whatever it is, um, we want you to get involved in a life group because we know this, that it changes lives. As you connect with people here at Grace Church, it truly does make a difference. I want you to experience the man hug if you're a man. That's what I want. That's my goal for you, all right? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me. And my prayer that I'm asking you to pray is simply this. God, what life group should I be a part of? And as you begin to pray, I believe God will say, this is, this is the town that you live in. Get connected to that one. Or maybe there's a fear that's keeping you from getting into a life group. And you just simply say, God, take away this fear. Allow me to experience this community that they've been talking about. If it is a financial reason why you've not jumped into life groups, allow us to be a blessing to you. That's how important we feel like life groups are. And so I want you to pray and ask God to open your heart and mind to life groups. God, I'm thankful for your love. I'm thankful that uh, oh, there are life groups that meet all over uh, the South Metro area. God, and, and these groups are life-giving. Uh, they're life-changing for people who are in them. God, relationships are built. Um, friendships are developed. And God, people, they just, they seem to connect. There's a community that's that's built through life groups that doesn't happen in any other way. And so, God, my prayers for those who are on the fence, who have not committed yet, but they want to, God, remove whatever fear or barrier that's keeping them from joining a life group and experiencing the life that you give through these groups. God, I'm thankful for our, our leaders. I pray that you would bless them, give them wisdom um, as they lead these groups, as they shepherd, as they care for, as they encourage, um, as they disciple. God, that we would see and continue to hear about life change that's taking place. God, thank you for loving us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Sean. I'm the pastor here at Grace Church, and I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, how many of you guys are looking forward to fall? Raise your hand. Anybody? The cooler weather? Yeah. Went to Home Depot and got a, uh, uh, a new, new uh, fire pit and got to use that last night. Really excited about that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit sad to leave this summer, though. Um, um, but anyway, it's, 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 been, it's been a good summer, just, re just really hot. Um, this is the time of the year when everybody's trying to get things done before it gets cold, and it's the last couple of weekends before uh, the Jehovah Witnesses pack it in for the winter, and uh, I, don't know, I don't know, somehow I am on their hit list, that's all I know. They're like, this guy knows something about religion, let's get him. So uh, we, get, we get hit a, a lot, and yesterday morning... Um, woke up and there's a knock on the door and, and it was a lady. So uh, I, I look over at Billy Jane. She's in the kitchen. I'm in the dining room. I was like, I was like, hey, it's it's a girl. And she goes, I don't know where you go talk to her. <laughs> so 
I open up the door and, and uh, the, the lady, you know, there's, there's usually one who's the coach, the mentor, and then there's the other one who's like being trained or being taught how to, how to get better at sharing their faith. And, and uh, very, they're, they're always really, they're, seriously, they're, they're very sweet people. And um, so, the, so the one lady, uh, she said, hey, you know, good morning. Um, you know, thank you for coming to the door. I think she, she, she's just really glad somebody came to the door. And I was just, thank you for not turning on the sprinklers. Thank you for not sticking your dog on us. Um, no, seriously, she said, thank you very much for coming to your door. And I was like, yeah, no problem. She said, you know, the, the world is, you know, like, like going crazy right now. And there's a lot of people whose lives are filled with anxiety. And, you know, we just wanted to talk to you about where you, where you go for comfort. And I'm like, oh, you guys are good. <laughs> they're like, they're getting like really like strategic in the way that they're talking to people, Right. We want to talk about where you go for comfort because we think that that's important. People need support and they need to know uh, where to find God. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. I, I just said, excuse me. I said, are you guys with the Watchtower Society? And she said, why, yes, we are. I guess, I guess you're pretty religious. You probably have a religion of your own. And I'm like, yeah, kind of. I said, so I'll just kind of like get like I can, I can help us fast forward this conversation a little bit. I said, here's what I believe. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and there was not anything that was made that wasn't made by Him. Then John goes on to say that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Colossians chapter 1, you see what I'm doing? I'm using everything we talked about last Sunday. Like the whole sermon from last week, I'm like, whoa, what? It's almost like there's really a God who wanted me to be prepared for this. Almost like there's really a God, maybe. So I'm just quoting the Bible verses that were used in the teaching last week. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with Him. All things were made by Him. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us as we beheld uh, His glory, the, the, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. I said Colossians chapter 1, verse 26, because that's the verse we used last weekend too. Says that Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. Jesus is God personified in the flesh. So he said, So you believe in Jesus? He goes, Yes. He goes, So you know that Jesus had a beginning, right? Like that's where she's gonna try to trick me, because that's the manger, and we talked about that. I said, I know. That's why John says that Jesus was the word who became before he was Jesus, he was the word. And the Bible says that in the beginning, the word already existed. That's awesome. And she goes, Have a good day. <laughs> so <laughs> there's one other line I put in there because I, I knew that I know that in their translation they've got they add an indefinite particle a in before before the word God. So it says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was a God. Not the God, but a God. So when they open up their Bible and they show you that verse, you're like, what? Like, it, it stumps you if you're not ready for it. So I brought that up. I said, I, I know that your translation in, inserts the indefinite particle A, but that's not in any of the ancient manuscripts. It's completely fabricated to fit your doctrine. And that's when she said, have a good... Anyway, it just... <laughs> that's the whole reason why John wrote the Gospel of John. For that conversation right there. And, and my number one concern wasn't whether or not I won an argument or anything. That really wasn't it. In fact, I, you know, I, I closed the door and Billy Jane goes, ha, 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 in the kitchen. <laughs> and then I felt bad. And, and my, the, my very first question was, did that come across as mean? 
Because the truth is, those two ladies are not my enemy. They are as loved and adored as you or me or anybody else. And the truth is, if they miss Jesus, they miss God too. We should care more about that than whether or not we win an argument on our doorstep. You know what I mean? So that was my biggest fear is that I had been offensive or condescending in my tone or, or you know what I'm saying? Mean or belittling in, in the way that I communicated that. And, and I, I, was, I was really concerned about that. But John was concerned about their understanding of who Jesus is too. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written kind of really close to each other. And it was decades later, towards the end of John's life, where he sits down and he goes, you know what, I, I, like, he's, heard, he's heard a couple of decades now of conversations after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are the first three books in the New Testament that give us the narrative, the, bio, the, the biography of the life of Jesus. So when he sits down, his concern isn't that he gives us another biography of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke did a great job of that. His biggest concern was an apologetic for who Jesus is. He wanted, to, he wanted to make sure that everybody understood who Jesus is. Because if you misunderstand who Jesus is, then you don't find God. Now, you can recognize who I am, but you don't know who I am unless you know me for who I am. Does that make sense? So you can recognize me, but that doesn't mean you know me. So you can recognize who God is, but you don't know God unless you know God for who he is. Does that make sense? Believe in God all you want, but if he says his name is Jesus and you don't recognize that, you don't know him. You know of him, but you, can't, you don't know him. That was John's biggest concern, is that if you come to the understanding that Jesus is just the best rabbi who's ever lived or just the greatest, the greatest good person who's ever lived, you miss God. So when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, nobody goes into the Father unless they go through me, it wasn't, he wasn't making a statement that Christians are right and everybody else is wrong. In fact, Jesus never even used the word Christian, not even one time. It was never about Christians versus anything else. It wasn't about that. But if Jesus is God and there is only one God, then he knows ain't nobody else out here coming for you, kid. You miss me. You miss your one shot. At finding God. It wasn't a mean thing that he was saying. Any more than I would say to my kids, look both ways before you cross the street. If you don't look both ways before you cross the street, you're going to get killed. I'm not being a jerk when I do that. I'm telling them the importance of them making sure, right? I'm trying to impress on them the gravity of the mistake it would be to not look both ways before they cross the street. And in the same way, when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life, nobody goes to the Father unless they go through me. He wasn't being a jerk. Again, he wasn't being a jerk. He was trying to impress on us the gravity of missing who he is. That's why John wrote his letter. So he, it's not in chronological order, and he doesn't cover all of the miracles. In fact, he covers more things that the other three guys didn't cover at all. Because his one concern is that everybody understands that Jesus is God who's shown up in history. So he only covers eight miracles, but all eight miracles highlight his divine nature, the fact that he's God. And he clumps things together based in, on different themes. He gets to the end of the book, and in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he says, These things have I written unto you that you may know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, so that you may have eternal life. Because if you miss that Jesus is God, then you don't know God for who he actually is. He did show up in human history. His name is Jesus. So John chapter 1, we were talking about it last week. God sends a, 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 a messenger. God sends a messenger to tell everybody that, that Jesus is on the way. And 
God often does that. Now, it's a little bit confusing when I talk about it because John is the name of the disciple that wrote the book of John, but it opens up talking about John, who's not him. It's another guy named John who's the baptizer. John the Baptist is, is how he's known throughout history, John, but he was just John back then. So John the disciple is talking about John the Baptist and said that, that there was a messenger sent from God to tell everybody about the word who was going to be born as flesh and live among us. Now, he wasn't the, the word. He wasn't that light, but he was a reflection of that light. It ends, uh, that little section, I, I believe it's in verse, um, what, verse 18, where he, he, he begins and ends his introduction to his letter, uh, John does, by affirming that, that, Jesus, that Jesus is God. That John the Baptist said, the one who comes behind me is greater than I am. I'm not worthy to tie his sandals because he existed long before I did. Now, that's, the crazy part about this is, is that John the Baptist knew who Jesus was because they were cousins. When Mary was pregnant, her family sent her away to go live with Mary's cousin Elizabeth, who was already six months pregnant. Now, that baby was John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was born six months later as the manger scene, but they both lived in northern Judea. So whenever they would travel down to Jerusalem for the annual festivals that all religious Jews went to every single year in Jerusalem, they would travel together in large groups to protect themselves from bandits and robbers. So all of John the Baptist's life, he'd grown up with Jesus as his cousin who's six, year, six months younger than him, which probably meant they were still in the same grade in Hebrew school. Do they have grades in Hebrew school? I'm not sure. Whatever they have, right? I'm just saying that you know, they, were, they were farting around off in the, wil- the woods and trying to keep up with the whole the caravan as it's going down to Jerusalem. So like, like they were boys. They knew each other forever. And can you imagine How many times John the Baptist's mom, Elizabeth, was like, why can't you be more like your cousin Jesus? (laughs) Like, he never lies to his mother, Mary. Mary's so lucky. Like, I don't... Can you imagine being the little brother or the cousin of Jesus growing up? That had to be brutal. If you have an older brother who's really popular, great at everything he did, or an older sister who's really popular, great at everything she did, you, you know John the Baptist's pain. But the amazing thing is that John the Baptist said of Jesus, right, this one existed long before I did, knowing that he's six months biologically older than Jesus, said that he existed long before he did, recognizing that Jesus was more than just a man. He's God. Now, the story that we're going to read right now, now, because John the Baptist is telling everybody the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, right? Word starts to begin to spread gets all the way to Jerusalem, and the religious leaders are like, whoa, why didn't he come and get this message approved with us first with the religious leaders? He should have checked with us first. Who's this preaching? Is he a rabbi? No, he ain't no rabbi. Is he a Pharisee? Is he one of the religious rulers? No. Is he of the elite ruling class? No, he's a nobody. He's just down by the river baptizing people and telling everybody to get ready because God's about to show up. They get nervous, and they send a delegation to check on him, to test his teaching to embarrass him in front of the crowd and discredit him if that's what it takes, or at the very least to come back and let us know what he's saying to see if we should shut him down or not. So when the group gets there from the temple in Jerusalem to ask John who he is, they ask a couple of questions that I didn't understand before this week, and one of the questions they asked, they said, are you Elijah? Now, in my mind, I had forgotten that Elijah didn't physically die. So I thought, like, all, all along, my whole life, seriously, I've, I've thought, did they believe in, like, like reincarnation? Because Elijah lived, like, 
what, like 600 years ago, 700 years ago? Are you Elijah? But what happened was is Elijah had ascended into heaven, the Bible says, in that flaming chariot. That's what, that's what the scriptures teach. And it had actually happened about a half a mile from right here where he's actually baptizing. So where Elijah ascended into heaven is where John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan River. So they said, are you Elijah? The reason why they asked if he was Elijah, because Malachi, the last book in the Hebrew scriptures says that right before the great and terrible day of the Lord, God would send back Elijah to get people ready for that. So since the, the, the prophets had said Elijah would come back before all the poop hits the fan, judgment, you know, apocalypse type days... Elijah's going to show up. So they show up and say, are you Elijah? Because like you're right in the same neighborhood. And we know what Malachi said. And he said, I'm not. Now I'm sure they sighed a huge sigh of relief because this ain't the apocalypse now. Then they said, are you a prophet? Are you the prophet? Because in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it said that, 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 the prophet, that God would send a prophet like Moses to rescue his people. And he said, no, I'm not the prophet. He said, are you Messiah? He said, no, I'm not Messiah. This is in verses 19 through, uh, 19 through 28. They say, well, then who are you? And here he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and he says, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. That's who I am. I'm just a voice. That's it. I'm just a messenger. I'm nobody important. I've just, I, I know who God is, and I've been sent by God to make sure you get a chance to know who God is. That's it. That's my job. That's, that's what I'm doing. It ends that passage of scripture right there by saying, and this all happened in Bethany, east of the Jordan. Now, some of your Bibles might say Bethabara, and that's the nickname for Bethany, east of Jordan. The reason why it says Bethany, east of Jordan, because there was a Bethany that was right next to Jerusalem, and there are two different towns. So there was, there was uh, Bethany next to Jerusalem, and about 30 minutes away, directly east is the Jordan River, and there was, excuse me, that was Bethany next to Jerusalem. This is Bethany on the other side of the Jordan River. Sorry, I'm doing it from my way, west to east. Flip it for you, all right? So there's Bethany over here by Jerusalem, and there's another Bethany on the other side of Jordan. Now they, the nickname for Bethany on the other side of the Jordan became Beth the Bearer, which means health, health, health. It means, it means health. Sorry, I have a speech impediment. Um, sorry, I actually used to, but not going to get into that right now. Anyway, um, it's called Beth the Bearer, and it meant house of the crossing. It was called House of the Crossing because that's where the Jews, when they'd been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, and God finally brings them into the promised land, he stops them at the Jordan River right there and has them set up camp. Then they spend some time praying and cleaning all of the sin out of the camp. The priests grabbed the Ark of the Covenant and they walked down into the Jordan River during the flood season, and it was right there at that place in the River Jordan where they stepped in. The beat dropped and they got busy. <laughs> Music from heaven happened. Boom, boom, boom. The Jordan River parts and the priests boogie across. Come on. Like, I, like if God lets us watch things in history on like videotape, homeboy best bring it with the soundtrack. That's all I got to say. Am I right? Can I get an Amen. <laughs> But that became like a famous place. Now, Bethabara means house of the crossing because by this point, 
If you lived on the other side of the Jordan River, if you came from the far east, you would go to that place and catch a ferry, and they would pull it like a little raft on ropes across the Jordan River to get to the other side. No doubt you've seen pictures of of that being done somewhere in the world at some point in history. That's where John the Baptist is baptizing. That's where all of this is happening, is where God introduced the Jews to the promised land. It's at the same place where Elijah had ascended into heaven. And then we catch up in verse 29. The next day, it says, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I don't think it was any passive look. It's not like he was like going, look, he's over there, he's over there. I mean, he could have said, somewhere in this crowd is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That would have been a little bit more dramatic, wouldn't it? People would have said, is it you? Oh, it ain't him. That homeboy's sketchy. I know it ain't him, Right? Who is it? Like they're looking around, but he doesn't do that. He wants to make it obvious because it's his job. His job is to make sure that nobody misses their opportunity to know and to follow Jesus. So when he says, look, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And my, what, what would make the most sense if he wants to make sure nobody gets it is that he would point, right? Jesus is walking by and he goes, there he is, right? Look, 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 look. <laughs> Some of you guys actually looked over there. He's not actually over there, just so you know. <laughs> There, right there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, talking about his cousin who's six months younger than him, for he existed long before me. Again, reaffirming that he knows that Jesus is the word who was with God, the word who is God, who has now come in the flesh. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. So now he tells us that he didn't know all along that Jesus was the Messiah. He just thought he was like the most unbelievably awesome goody two-shoes ever, right? But he didn't know growing up who he was. That's what he says. I I didn't know he was the Messiah. I was baptizing because God sent me to baptize here until the Messiah showed up, but I wasn't sure who it is. Verse 32, then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting on him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Boom, drop the mic, sermon over. That's it. That's how I know. That's who he is. Now, I'd never considered this before until this weekend. I, I, like, I'm, I'm a preacher's kid, so I grew up in church and um, my, my whole life, and I went to one of those really super, super strict churches where you went to Sunday school at 10, you went to church at 11, you came back for choir practice at 5, church at 6 o'clock, and sometimes on a Sunday night, there's an afterglow. And if you don't know what an afterglow is, it's just a party that nobody has fun at. And then then Tuesday night visitation, Wednesday night youth group, Thursday night Bible study, Friday night there's a youth activity, and Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock was church bus visitation in the poor neighborhood. Then back at church again, that's my life growing up as a little kid. So like I've heard all the stories a million times, so when I find like a little nugget that I like never heard before, I geek out on it. It's like a little Easter egg. You know what Easter egg is? 
those little things that like the programmers hide in video games and stuff like that, that, that you only know about. If like, like think of like your, your favorite video game and then Google that video game and Easter egg. And the programmers for that game hid things for you to find in that game. Sometimes it'll be like a picture of their kids. Sometimes it'll be their own name graffitied on. I know the guys in Halo, the guys who developed that, were always like tagging their names and their hometowns on the backside of buildings all the time. And Okay, now you know I'm a geek. But anyway, right? So Easter egg in the Bible. And, and here's what I love. God gave Abraham two promises and only two promises. I'm going to give you a land for your possession forever, and I'm going to give you a son, a descendant, who will change the world forever. The only two promises God gave Abraham. I'll give you a piece of property that'll be yours forever, and I'll give you a descendant who will change the world forever. And I love that God introduced the world to both of them in the same place. That's what I geeked out on. That God brings them to Bethabara, Bethany on the east side of Jordan. And he says, I'm going to give you what I promised your grandfather Abraham 600 years ago. And I'm going to give you the property, the land. And it brings all of Israel's attention back to the exact same place to remind them. Remember when I, last time I brought you guys here to give you the promise? I'm bringing you all back here again because this is the real promise. I'm giving you my promised chosen one in this exact same place. That's not the only Easter egg in the Bible. There's a few more. Like Abraham, when he offered his son Isaac on the, on the altar on the top of Mount Moriah, the Bible says he raises his hand to sacrifice his only child of promise, and the angel stops him, and then God says, because I know that you would not withhold from me your one and only son, I know that you will not hold back anything from me, and then he reaffirms his promise to give him land and to give him a son who would change the world. He reaffirms those two promises. And then Abraham looks up and he sees a ram caught in the thicket, the Bible says. And then he says to his son Isaac, he says, someday on this mountain, God will provide himself a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And it's not a coincidence of history, but it is an Easter egg in the Bible that that was the exact same mountain that the Romans crucified Jesus on. That's sick, right? You guys have heard of Jonah and the whale? Jonah was in the town, the seaport town of Joppa. He was Jewish. And he was, he was in the seaport town of Joppa. And God called this Jewish messenger of God to leave his people and go give the hope of God found in faith to the non-Jews. And in Joppa, Jonah said, no, I'm not going to tell the, God, the Gentiles about you. And the very first time the gospel message of Jesus goes to the Gentiles was with Peter. And guess what town he was in? Joppa. Where Jonah got it wrong, God brings Peter right back to the exact same place to undo that mistake and fix it. I just love that kind of stuff. In the same place that God says, I will give you the first promise, he brings them all the way back and say, and now I'll give you the bigger promise. The next day after that, verse, verse uh, 39. Uh, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. He's not standing in front of the entire crowd now. He's standing with just two guys, and they're just talking randomly. As Jesus walked by, I love that. Jesus just walking by, right? Like, he, he was never actually there to talk to John. He's just chilling, just hanging out, just walking by, right? As Jesus is walking by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. Uh, and and, and I, I get the impression that from then on, Every time John the Baptist saw Jesus, he had to say out loud to everybody who was there, look, there's the Lamb of God. 
hanging out at a party. Jesus walks in. He interrupts the party. Look, there's a, we know John who takes away the sin of the world. We got it. We got it. just like every, I wonder if Jesus ever got annoyed with John the Baptist. That's what, dude, stop it. All right, everybody knows. You can totally chill now. Look, there he is. Look, there he is. Look, there he is. Look, there's the Lamb of God. When, verse 37, when John's two disciples heard this, they followed who? Jesus. They stopped following John from then on. Actually, one of the other Gospels tells us that from then on, more and more of John's followers and his crowds left him and his crowds to begin following Jesus. Those multitudes that followed Jesus everywhere he went, a large percentage of them had actually started off as the crowds who followed John. So some of the disciples of John, some of the followers of John came up to him one day who hadn't started following Jesus yet, and they said, dude, like half of our crowd is now following Jesus. Like he's got like our whole team. Like, like does this bother you? And John said, no, this is what I'm here for. It's never been about me, fellas. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. I can't rescue you. I can't. He's the only one who can. Have you not been listening to anything I've been saying? Now, the writer, John the disciple, who never refers to himself by name ever in his book, he always refers to himself. He just doesn't use his, if he does refer to himself, it's in the third person as the disciple that Jesus loved. He recognized God loves me. God loves me. That's what, he, that's what he recognized. Jesus looked around at those two disciples, verse 38, and saw them following. He said, what do you guys want? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, come and see, he said. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. So how many of John's disciples, the first two guys to leave John and begin following Jesus, how many were there? There were two. The next verse gives us one of their names, Andrew. Simon Peter's brother was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Jesus looked intently at Simon. Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter from now on. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. The next day, well, what happened to that other disciple of John who started following Jesus? He's not named. Why is he not named? Because it's who? It's John who wrote this book. John and Andrew were the two disciples who first left John to start following Jesus. How did John know about this private conversation that John the Baptist was having with these two disciples? Because he was one of the two disciples in the conversation. See, I always thought in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus is preaching at the side of the lake and all the crowds are pushing up on him on the beach and he's backing up and his feet start to get in the water and people are all standing at eye level with him and the people in the back can't hear and he looks over down the beach and he sees in Mark chapter 1, uh, there are some fishermen cleaning their nets, they're mending their nets and he says, hey fellas, can I get in your boat? And they said, sure. They pull out a little bit from the beach and Jesus began teaching and now it's like a platform and you know, the flat surface of the water is carrying his voice uh, across the beach. Now everybody can hear everything he says. He finishes his sermon and he says to the guys in the boat with him, he says, hey, can we launch out a little bit? And they're like, eh, okay, sure. I mean, they've been fishing all night, the Bible says. So they launch out and Jesus says, how about if we drop our nets? He said, well, we just got done fishing all night long and didn't catch anything. And Jesus doesn't 
okay, fine, we'll do this. So they, he says, launch it, throw it out the, the other side. So he threw the nets out the other side. The Bible says so many net fish came in their net that it started to swamp their boat. They yell out to their friends on the, on the beach, get your boat, come out here and help us. The two dudes in the boat are James and John. The two guys on the beach are Andrew and Simon who became Peter. Then after they pull in all of those fish, Jesus says to the four of them, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible says that immediately they left their nets. And that blew my mind. I always thought the first time Jesus ever met them or they ever met Jesus, they left everything to follow him. But it wasn't the first time they had ever met Jesus. Because the first time they met Jesus was down in Bethabara, right here. James hadn't met him, but John did, James's brother. Simon didn't meet him, but Andrew did. Andrew went and got Simon. Now, I don't know if John ever went and got James, but James no doubt heard who he was because when John and Andrew got back, we're going to find out in chapter 2, Jesus starts heading to, actually right here, Jesus starts heading back to Galilee, which is back north again. So everybody else did too. They went home. He goes to Cana. We're going to study that next week. But they had actually known who Jesus was. Was it a week earlier, a couple of days earlier? I don't know. But this is actually the second time that they meet Jesus when they become his followers. But they were introduced to him right here. Philip went to look for the next day, verse four, uh, 43. Uh, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, which is Andrew and Peter's hometown. And Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And he goes, Nazareth? exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Because if he was a good religious Jewish kid, he knew what the prophets had to say about the Messiah, that when the Messiah shows up, he would be born in Bethlehem, because that's what Micah, the prophet, had said. He'd be from Bethlehem, not from Nazareth. Now, one of the other uh, uh, Hebrew prophets had said that the Messiah shows up, he'd come from Egypt, which Jewish scholars thought was some type of a contradiction. How could he be from Egypt and be from Bethlehem? That doesn't make any sense. But Nathaniel, being a good Jewish kid, no, he's religious. I know Messiah is not from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, the truth is, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and when King Herod found out and killed all the babies two and under, his family, Joseph, his stepdad, and Mary... They fled into Egypt where they stayed for two years until they came back from Egypt. Just kind of cool, but nothing's ever mentioned about Nazareth. And Nathaniel just makes that point. Does anything good come out of Nazareth? So the very first time Philip gets an opportunity to meet Jesus as Messiah, God in the flesh, the one who came to pay our debt off to God for our, our, our disobedience to him and our selfishness towards, towards others, his first response is to make sure that his buddy Nathaniel gets an opportunity to have the same experience with God. And when he introduces the, con the, the, the conversation, he brings up the subject in conversation with his buddy Nathaniel, Nathaniel asks the first question, does anything good come from Nazareth? And what I want to point out is, the very first question he was asked, he didn't have an answer for. He didn't wait until he knew all the answers about who Messiah was. Homeboy knew enough to know what he knew, and he was hoping that was good enough for his buddy who he knew. Right? So he comes and talks to his buddy about Jesus, can't answer any of his questions, so here's what he says. Nathaniel, excuse me, Nazareth, uh, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Doesn't answer the question because he doesn't know. He just says, come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. 
Now, I would love for somebody to say that about me. Don't come say that. I'm not, I'm not begging for a comment. I'm just saying. But if you met somebody famous and they go, now there's a stud right there. Right? Wouldn't that feel good? Be like, well, yes, you're a wise and intelligent man, I perceive. <laughs> right? Nathaniel meets Jesus and Jesus says of him, wow, there's a specimen of Israel, a man of complete integrity. That had to... I don't know if that felt good or it was just really creepy because I don't know you at all, right? So then he says, how do you know? Ab-? Actually, he didn't say, how do you know me? He goes, how do you know about me? Because these words are true. <laughs> how did you know this about me? Mwah. Repl- Jesus replied, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Okay, I've got like a million questions. What was happening under that tree? Right? Like Nathaniel's under that tree all by himself before Philip found, like it's like something's going on. Like is he having that moment with God? He's like, God, if you really love me, you would at least let me know you loved me. God, if you cared at all about me, you would at least let me know that you exist. God, are you even freaking there? Right? Like what... What else could it have been? It had to be some kind of a moment like that where Nathaniel's pouring his house. It, it had something to do with God because when Jesus called it out, he said, holy cow, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of all Israel. You are the Messiah. You are the word who became flesh and dwelt like you're God. Like he, he got it instantly because all Jesus said was, I saw you, kid, under the tree. Mind blown, you're God. I don't know what that is. And I don't know what that's going to be for you. I, I, I know that every weekend at Grace Church, there's people who just, you don't, you're just not sure about the whole God thing. And I think it's okay for you to have your tree moment with God where you go off somewhere and your only cry is, God, if you're really there, I just need to know. That's it. That's it. Just tell me. Now, now you're not going to get an email, all right? So just... And I, I've, I've told God that. I don't need an email. I don't need a handwritten note. And I definitely don't want to see a vision of you sitting on my bedpost at night. Please don't. Because I will soil them sheets. I just need to know that I know you're there. Whatever that takes, that's what I need. For Nathaniel, it was just for Jesus to say, Kid, I saw you under the tree. And that's all it took. What would it take for you to finally get past your doubt? I don't know. But I think the coolest takeaway for you would be for you sometime this week, maybe even today, to get alone somewhere private and get real serious with God. God, if you are there, I just need to know. I'm not putting any demands on you. I'm not telling you what you got to do. But if you're there, you got to just somehow in my head, in my heart, I just got to know that I know now. That's it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that prayer. The next thing I want to point out is that everybody who was ever found by Jesus got busy helping find other people to introduce to Jesus. See, John wasn't the only one who was to bear witness of that light. John wasn't the only one called to be a reflection of Jesus. Everybody who's ever found him has been sent to find others. Everybody who's ever been rescued has been sent to rescue others. There's no exceptions. Somehow, over the course of the centuries, we've turned this into the job of professional Christians. You know what a professional Christian is? 
It's me. Like, I've got no choice. I'm a pastor. I have to be Christian. Now, thankfully, I already was before. I'm just saying. You get what I'm talking about? People whose job it is to be religious. And everybody else has kind of excused themselves of the need to be concerned about finding others who are far from God. And we've rationalized our decision to bench ourselves. You've got a reason. I don't know what your reason is, but you have one. You don't know enough. You're, you're not a perfect enough person. You, well, I, I've, I have no idea. But you've got a reason why. But I think the example that God gives us would demonstrate that whatever reason you have for feeling like God can't ever use you, you're wrong. Because when I look at the 12 disciples Jesus actually picked, I'm fairly confident everybody in this room is sharper than almost everyone on his list. Because when Jesus, I would not let Jesus draft my fantasy football team. That's all I'm saying. Right? Andrew is forever known for the rest of the Bible as Peter's brother. Doesn't that suck? Some of you guys, you're always known as your big brother's little brother, and you hated that. Or your big sister's little sister. You, like that, that's all you're known as? From then on, for the rest of the Bible, Andrew, you know, Peter's brother. Andrew, Peter, I know who Andrew is, but nobody can let it go. He's not the real kid. Peter's the real kid, but he's related to the real kid. That's who Andrew is. Now, Peter, on the other hand, becomes famous, but before he was famous, he was a moron. Because every time Peter ever said anything, it was embarrassing. And Jesus was like, dude, would you shut up? I didn't ask your opinion. <laughs> Read the gospel account, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Every time Peter says something, it's embarrassing. Every time. He's a dude who can't let a silent moment go by. Homeboy's got to say something to break the tension. <laughs> Captain Awkward, I don't know anybody else like this at all. Don't know anybody like that at all. James and John had their mommy come to Jesus one time in front of the rest of the disciples, and their mommy said, when we all get to heaven, can my little boy sit next to you in heaven, one on one side and the other on the other side, for all of eternity? And you know James and John were like, no, mom, stop. <laughs> so those boys were mama's boys for the rest of forever, right? Every time the other disciples saw them, like, oh, James and John, your mom picked out pretty outfits for you guys today. Good job. That's James and John. And you know they were picked on forever for what their mommy did, right? Philip, now I got, I got to hand it to Philip. Now, Philip never does anything cool in the whole Bible, but every time you see Philip, homeboy ain't got nothing to say to nobody. He's just finding people and bringing them to Jesus. I got to give the kid credit for that. Like, like when they're looking for the, the food to feed the 5,000, it was Philip who found the little kid with the lunch. And he brings up, like, every time Philip's ever mentioned, he's just going, I don't really know any answers, but I know where you can find them. Come with me. Like, every time. He's the dumb dude who always does the right thing. That's Philip. Thomas didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead, even though Jesus told him three times that I'm going to raise from the dead. Matthew was a tax collector, and after the first day that he came to faith in Jesus and he throws a party to invite all of his pagan friends to meet Jesus, he's never mentioned again in the whole Bible. Why not? He's never mentioned. So is that a bad pick or what? He's never mentioned. Simon the Zealot. He's like a, he was like, like William Wallace. Like, freedom! 
dude painting one side of his face blue, trying to like hijack like Roman caravans. And like this dude just wanted to over, like he's like a little baby terrorist. That's what Simon was. When Jesus picked Simon, you know, everybody was like, ooh, seriously bad pick. (laughs) Cops are going to be watching you guys now. Thaddeus, the only thing we know about Thaddeus is his nickname is Lebius, and that's not even a better name. (laughs) Bartholomew, again, nothing. We've got nothing about him. We only know he's a disciple because every time it says, here's the disciples of Jesus, Bart's mentioned. James the lesser, that sucks. (laughs) James the wee man, that's who he is. And then Judas, the one who betrayed him. That's Jesus' draft pick. Are you with me? Who would he pick if he showed up today? He wouldn't pick professional Christians. He didn't then, he wouldn't now. You know who he would pick? High school sophomores. He'd pick a single mom, a plumber, a marketer, an IT guy, a cop, insert you here. Your value doesn't come from what you bring to the table. It comes from the fact that he invited you to it. What you brought to the table isn't nearly as important as what you do when you get up from it. If you have found God, your job is to help others find Him. And nothing else in your life is more important than that. Your job was given to you by God for two reasons. To provide an income for you so you can do what He called you to do, which is help all of those that you work with or go to school with find God also. I'm not being a reflection of Jesus right now in this moment on this stage. This is just my role within this church family. You know where I'm a reflection of Jesus? On Seaver Street. 6 a.m. pickup basketball at the Y on Wednesdays that I honestly have not been to in about two years, just so you know. But I'll tell you what's awesome is that when I was in 6 a.m. basketball on Wednesdays at the Y, I was constantly aware that someday I might have a spiritual conversation with somebody in this gym. So I made sure that if somebody was a ball hog, they didn't get any crap from me about it. I never brought up Jesus. But the one guy that I got to know best from 6 a.m. basketball showed up without me even knowing about it Friday night to the men's focus group. By the way, there's a ladies' focus group coming up. You guys should sign up for it, if you're a lady. And he walked in, and my instant thought was, and I thought, is there anything that I ever did or said? I was like, okay. And he added, when he found out I was a Christian, didn't freak him out. And I was thankful to God for that. My mailman yesterday, it's a new mail guy, knocked on my, I was walking up the stairs, so I was right by the front door, and he was right there, like, we we made eye contact on the other side of the glass pane, this close. (laughs) 
hey, I mean, I can't just like uh, pretend like we don't see each other. So I opened up the door and I said, hey, and he said, hi. And I could tell by his accent that he was from Haiti. And I thought people were from Haiti before because of an accent and they weren't from Haiti and that was embarrassing, but that's another story. This dude was from Haiti. So I just rocked the whole, como oye? And he goes, like this? And I said, como, and I'm like, crap, maybe I didn't say it right. Como oye? He's like, doesn't say anything. I go, say bien? He's like, ah, it's right And he's like, no, 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 I'm like, no, 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 I don't speak any Greek. <laughs> and I just go, Kijon, really? Like, that's all I know. It's just, what's your name, right? And he goes, James, what's your name? I go, Sean. And he goes, how do you know Creole? And it's like, I go to a church that sponsors a couple of projects in Haiti and Canaan. And he goes, I know where Canaan is. It just got built since the earthquake. I go, I know it's up by the lake. And he goes, I live by the lake. I said, you're kidding me. We had this really cool conversation. And I just, I just... I needed that. He's like so happy and excited. And I didn't talk to him about God at all. He knows I go to a church that does things for the country that he's from and that he loves. And I'm hoping someday that grows to something else. But the point is my job, I'm not the light. But bro, everywhere I go, I'm to be the best freaking ref- reflection of that light. You're not the thing, but you are to point to the thing. You're not the light, but you're to be a good reflection of the light. So what I want you to do as we wrap it up, I want you to examine your own heart and your life and find somebody in your life that would not listen to you talk about God because of the way they feel about you, because that's the relationship you need to repair after you leave this building today. If there is something in your life that discredits your reflection of Jesus, bro, Fix it. Peter denied Jesus three times. When Jesus was in the next room over. And if that didn't discredit Peter from being ever used by God, then neither does your divorce, your affair, your abuse, your depression, your loneliness, your addiction. The whole point of the people Jesus picked was to tell you he would pick you too. In fact, he freaking did. You think it's an accident that you're here in this service to hear this sermon, but all of your life's history has been working to this moment so that you would know God in his first round picks you. And your value comes from the fact that he picked you not because of what you add to the team. And what's most important is what you do now. What do you do with that? I'm never going to be Jesus, but dang it, homeboy is going to live the rest of his life trying to be John. I'll be Andrew. I'll be Philip. That's who you've been called to be too. Let's pray. God, thank you for rescuing me and giving me the awesome privilege of helping other people find rescue. Thank you for forgiving me of all the crap that's in my heart, the things I've done that you've forgiven me of. God, how in the world can I not forgive other people for doing things to me when I keep doing the same things to you over and over and over again and you still forgive me? You love me when I'm unlovable, so help me to love others when they're unlovable. Help me to be kind when they're unkind because you're kind when I'm unkind. God, how can I take so much awesomeness from you and then withhold that from others who need it most? God, we have middle schoolers here who have friends who do not know you. They know who you are, but they do not know you, Jesus. 
Help them to invite their friends to youth group, the high schoolers, in class when religious conversations come up, to just say what they know, not cocky, not being a jerk, but just, just to say something, to not be afraid to identify themselves as being on Team Jesus. I pray for our friends who are broken, our friends who are hurting, our friends that you're drawing to faith in your son, Jesus. I pray that you would allow us to become a part of their story and their journey too at some point. Our job isn't to force that conversation. God, if we're truly a friend of theirs, they'll bring it up. Just help us to keep that conversation going. I'm asking your will to be done in our hearts right now. Show us the things that need to be tweaked or changed so that your will can be done in our lives tomorrow. And I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.